You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. My guess is that as I'm teaching today, that you're going to gain a sensitivity to something that's different in the atmosphere in the room. And the reason I say that is not because I have a great sermon prepared. In fact, it's probably the most informational sermon that you've heard. The reason I say that is because people have been praying for the past almost 21 days for all of us and for you and for uh, folks at Harbor City uh, across both campuses to experience the power of the Holy Spirit for us to finally get it. That a light would be turned on that we would not see our, <laughs> I hate to say it this way, but our religious identity the same way that we've, ever, that we've seen it uh, you know, in the past that we'll begin to see ourselves as truly as we are. For those of you who know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a, child, a son and a daughter or a daughter of the living God and that you have an identity in Christ that doesn't change just because you messed up this week. You have an identity that is secure in Jesus and out of that identity, um, we can start living life for Him. And watch this, Jesus wants to give us gifts. Um, if you've ever been married, if you remember the day you were married, how you got all those gifts, and do you remember those gifts that you got, and you opened them up and you went, I've already got one of these. <laughs> and what did you do with it, right? Or let's say you looked at it and you went, I don't think I can use that. Because, you know, hey, come on, let's be honest. Some married couples get gifts and they put them away and they give them to the next married couple. Right? Don't tell me you haven't done that, because I know you have, because we have. <laughs> just kidding. So, but you take those gifts, and you just put them away, because you don't feel like you have any use for them. And they just sit in the closet. Jesus has given us gifts that we've taken them, and we've said, I don't understand what, what this is all for. So we put them away, and we never experience, I'm going to tell you today, that the gifts of Jesus are different than any other kind of gift that we receive. It's one thing for me to give you a gift, like a gift card or a, you know, a, a material item that is di that's disconnected from my person. And you can do whatever you want with that thing. If I gave you a gift card right now, you could let it sit in the closet, you could give it back to me in five years, whatever. It doesn't affect me. But the gifts of Jesus are the gifts of his person to us. And it's different. So we don't want to put that in the closet. We want to go, what is this? Let's explore that. Let me enter into because those gifts are given so we can experience a new dimension in God, in faith, in power, to help us fulfill the mission that he's, he's given us. Yes and amen? amen. All right. So this morning, um, we're going to talk for a few moments. I'm going to teach for a few moments on the beauty of spiritual language. And this caps or is supposed to kind of close off our series in the Holy Spirit for the past four weeks. This is week number four. I want to talk about the beauty of spiritual language. We don't talk about this often, but as we were preparing for all this, I kind of feel like we set up the whole series to talk about this one thing. And so my goal today is to try and remove as many misconceptions in your mind about the gift and the beauty of spiritual language and spiritual baptism or Holy Spirit baptism that may exist and I'm guessing that there are some that exist in this room because at the end of our time today um, I want us to have time to pray 
and invite the Holy Spirit and actually have us receive a fresh baptism with the Spirit. Okay? So if I forget today, somebody remind me to take offering or to receive offering. But honestly, it doesn't matter. You all know how to give. Put your money in the back if I, in case we forget, in case God shows up in that way. Give online. That would be a great time for you to do it and learn how to do it. Um, because we're going to try to clear the table today and just leave room for the Holy Spirit to work. Sound good? All right, so here you go. Take out your notes. If you follow Jesus and you want to learn more about him, get something out to write on. And if you have a Bible, or open it up or turn it on, whatever mode you find is more convenient. And we're going to talk about the beauty of spiritual language. In particular, I'm going to use these terms interchangeably this morning. Spiritual language, gift of tongues. Spiritual language, gift of tongues. I know that there's some stigma that surrounds this whole idea of tongue speaking. Uh, I'm hoping to kind of remove some of that this morning. Um, but let me begin with an assumption that we have here as a church. And it's this, that the power of the Holy Spirit, as I click on the clicker, and if you can plug in the, uh, the thing, Ryan, that'd be great because it's not clicking. Um, the power of the Holy Spirit as manifested, as evidenced in signs and wonders and miracles and healings, including the gift of spiritual language, including the gift of tongues, that that power of the Holy Spirit is available and fully operational today in and for any believer, here's the key, who is hungry for more. You can go your whole Christian life and never experience the more. If you're hungry for more, I'm here to tell you there is more. And it comes packaged in the gift of the Holy Spirit manifested in things like miracles and signs and wonders, in particular, the gift of spiritual language. Right? So let me, let me dive right into this. You take your time to write that down. Sorry, that's all the time you get. <laughs> There are three kinds of baptisms, in the, at least three, in the, in the New Testament that we see. There's the first one is baptism into Christ. This baptism is a spiritual baptism that happens at our conversion when we say yes to Jesus. Okay, so think of this as your, the moment you became a, a born-again believer, a Christian, a born-anew, you came to life in your like the Spirit of God came to dwell in you that's what makes you a Christian it's not that you get you do everything Christians do or that you talk like a Christian that's not what makes you a Christian according to the scripture what makes you a Christian is that the Spirit of Jesus the Holy Spirit has come to take up residence in your life in your spirit and that's what makes you believer the, the verse for this is in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is saying, listen, there is one Holy Spirit, and when we invite Jesus into our lives, we choose to follow Christ, that spirit comes to dwell inside of us. And he doesn't just make you a more religious person. He begins a work, we call it sanctification, that daily should make you more and more like Jesus. Got it? 
He doesn't make you sinlessly perfect all at once, but you, his work in your life causes you to sin less and less. All right? So that's the work of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. That's baptism into Christ. Another verse is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. This is baptism into Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a part of that. So in a very real sense, all of us, when we got saved, were baptized in the spirit. Got it? Say yes, pastor. Okay, the next baptism is a, is a sign an outward sign that we have made that inward decision. It's baptism in water. We don't need to teach heavily on this because you get it. This is, usually happens after salvation when you have full understanding of what happened to you, the, the kind of decision you made to follow Christ, and you make a public proclamation of that inward decision that you made. You say to the whole world and to everybody that... You have now died to yourself. Your old life has been buried with Jesus and now you have risen with him into new life in Christ. You have a brand new identity. Tell the person next to you, go get a new identity if you don't have one already. <laughs> Say you're brand new. You have a brand new identity. That's baptism in water. Water baptism says, I want to tell the world that this is what's really happened to me. Okay, then the third kind of baptism is the baptism with the Spirit, which we're going to camp on today. The baptism, now notice I use the, the prepositions differently. There's baptism in the Spirit, which is your incorporation into the family of God by the, by the Holy Spirit's presence, living and dwelling in you. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is baptism with the Holy Spirit. Jesus does this baptizing, according to Jesus. And it's not necessarily related to salvation or conversion. It's a separate experience of empowerment where, watch this, in the same way that they dunked you under the water when you were baptized in water, this baptism is where Jesus takes you and he dunks you in the Holy Spirit so that you're completely immersed in the Spirit's power. And the purpose of that immersion is so that you will be an effective witness to the kingdom of God. That baptism is for you, but it's more for you to fulfill the mission God has given you, to be empowered in that. I, lo I love the picture because sometimes, you know, some of you, how many of you were baptized when you were a baby? Many of us were baptized, okay? And that was a different kind of, that, that's a different tradition of Christianity. In our tradition of Christianity, we teach baptism, the word baptizo, say baptizo. That word was actually used back in that ancient time to describe a, a, um, a textile worker or a cloth maker taking a piece of cloth and dunking it in a, in a, a colored dye, right? And they, they would immerse it in that dye until that dye began to color the whole piece of cloth. That's the picture of baptism and immersion in the Holy Spirit. You think it's possible to be immersed like that in God? It sure is, and Jesus wants that for every single one of us. Not just once, not just twice, but over and over again throughout our lifetime. So let me get clear, there is one Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, when you said yes to Jesus, Jesus didn't come and leave the Father behind. 
He didn't come and leave the Holy Spirit behind. He came, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came in to live in you. He didn't leave all his gifts behind him. He brought everything that he is with him to live into you. And the Spirit dwells in us, and it makes us sons and daughters of God. But the baptism with the Spirit is an additional work. It's an additional work of the indwelling Spirit. An additional work of the already indwelling Spirit and its purpose is to strengthen and say supercharge. Supercharge your witness with His gifts. Let me give you an illustration. If I gave you an Amazon gift card this morning, let's say I gave it to here, Jesse. I said, Jess, I want you to have this Amazon gift card. And on this special gold Amazon gift card, I'm making all this up, right? So don't, don't like quote me on this. This has $1 million on it. Jess, I want to give this to you. But there are some requirements to this gift card, okay? <clears throat> you need to become an Amazon Prime member, which I know you're not. Or you probably are, but you're not. Let's say for now. And only when you become an Amazon Prime member can you access all the money that's on this card. Right? If you don't become an Amazon Prime member, you cannot access the $1 million. No matter how, much, how many times you type the code in, no matter how many you know, things you try to do to get around it, you're just not going to be able to access it because you have to become an Amazon Prime member. Now, Jess can decide to take that card. How much is it worth? $1 million. You know how much you could do with $1 million on Amazon? Crazy. You could buy a house, right? I think Amazon sells houses now, right? <laughs> what if Jess took that and just put it away and did nothing with it? All of that power goes to no effective, active use. Or Jess could try and use it and be like, no, you got to be a member to use it. It's the same way in the Christian life. It's not until you actively register and activate the gift card that you can begin to experience all the buying power inherent within it. In the same way, you can become a member and you have to become a member to receive the, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, but you can sit with that baptism available to you and never experience all the power inherent with it and what it was supposed to do. For a long, long time, you can sit without it. I like what Pastor Mike said he, when we first talked about the baptism of the Spirit. He said, yeah, I heard this illustration one time, this guy say that, the that living without the baptism with the Holy Spirit is like driving a Ferrari in first gear. <laughs> would you do that? Some of you would, because like, it's, it's good in first gear. There are like 10 more gears for you to use, folks. And it begins with the baptism with the Spirit. All right, so this is where the gift of tongues comes in, Okay. So there, there's your, if you want to write that down. This is where the tongues comes in. In the New Testament, tongues, or this spiritual language, the gift of spiritual language, it shows up consistently, I'm about to throw this on the screen, so don't worry, as the unique, verifiable evidence of the Spirit's baptism. There it is. In the New Testament, spiritual language, the gift of tongues, tongues, comes up consistently as the unique, verifiable evidence of the Spirit's baptism. The first time we see it is in Acts chapter 2. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other as the Spirit enabled them. That's key. That was the Jewish Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falling on the Jewish 
nation or people. And then in Acts chapter 10, we see that uh, while Peter, he, Peter is at the house of Cornelius, a Gentile centurion, and he and his whole household are sitting in this room listening to the apostle Peter start to preach. Now watch what happens when Peter starts to preach. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words. Now, what he's trying to do to these Gentile people is he's trying to make them into Jews. That's what he's doing. He's still preaching kind of like you got to become a Jew before you can become a Christian because that's how it was understood at that time. So as Peter is trying to convert them to Judaism so that they can become Christians, the Holy Spirit just like bypasses all of it. And it says that as he was speaking these words, the Spirit came upon all who heard the message for they heard them. How did they know that the Holy Spirit came upon them? Because they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. All right? The third time we see this happen <clears throat> is in Acts chapter 19. The Apostle Paul go, travels to a place called Ephesus. This is his first time in Ephesus. And he meets a bunch of disciples there that were discipled with, under John the Baptist's uh, teaching. <clears throat> and so they were followers of John the Baptist. They were God-fearing men. And Paul says to them, he says, hey, did you, have you guys been baptized with the Spirit? He goes, they haven't even, so we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. We were baptized with John, John's baptism, John the Baptist. So Paul goes, oh, man, you guys are missing out. Watch this. And he says, on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus, and then Paul placed his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. If you read through chapter 19, this is the beginning of a revival that began in the city of Ephesus with 12 men. There are 12 men who got baptized with the Spirit here. They were disciples of John the Baptist. They got saved and they got baptized in water, we want to think, and they got baptized with the Holy Spirit and God used them to bring revival to a city. Basically, in the book of Acts, every time the Spirit is received by people in this way, the gift of spiritual language is a part of that experience. Right? There's one exception, but I'm not going to go into it right now. The gift of tongues is evidence of the Holy Spirit's infilling. And watch this. Some of you need to hear this because you've got some, uh, I'm going to deal with some misconceptions in a moment. Just because you speak in tongues doesn't mean you're a more mature believer than anyone else. All right? Just because you speak in tongues doesn't mean you're more powerful, that you have more power than the, than the Christian, you know, next to you. So let's not think of the gift of tongues or any of, the, of God's gift, of God's, of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's gifts. Let's not think of the Holy Spirit's gifts as marks of maturity. If you want to be a mature Christian, you need to get into the Word, you need to spend time with Jesus, you need to obey God, right? That's, this is the basic Christian life. That's how you grow in maturity. You just do what He tells you. So just because you've got gifts doesn't mean that you're necessarily more mature. However, However, Jesus wants to give you gifts. There's a reason why he's giving you gifts. The, the gift of spiritual language is the indicator that the power of the Holy Spirit has been activated in your life. Okay? Let me, let me give you an illustration. It's like turning on the ignition in a car. When you start the engine, or you start that engine, the car comes to life. Right? You can hear the engine. 
You can see the lights on the dashboard come up. The panels light up. You might even see the smoke come out of the exhaust the minute you turn that ignition switch on. Now, let's say you're sitting in the vehicle and you go, and you go, oh, it's come to life. I hear it. You don't sit there and just go, wow, this is awesome. I got a car that starts. Amazing. And then turn it off and then go back to, to, to throughout your bit, right? We don't do that with a vehicle. What do you do? You drive the car someplace. Tongues is like that. It's the indication that the engine has now been turned on to a new level and new possibilities, new things become possible. And that you can actually now go places in God that you had never been able to go before. It's the same way when the Spirit comes upon a believer in the first time. Something gets ignited. Something of the Spirit's power is activated and you can go places in God that heretofore only weren't possible. Okay, let me tease it out just a little bit. Let's say, uh, let's say, Lindsay, you bought a new car, right? What kind of car, what kind of car would you like to buy? Just get, it's okay, you can, it's okay, we won't, we won't condemn, we, we'll, you just dream, just dream. Ferrari, she wants to buy a Ferrari, folks, awesome. Girl after my own heart right here. We'll never drive a Ferrari this side of heaven, I just let you know, but maybe in heaven someday we will. <laughs> Let's say she bought a new Ferrari, right? And uh, she said, Pastor, I want you to come and just check out my new car. So I came over. Whoa! Incredible car. Pastor, you got to hear how this thing sounds when you light it up. She gets in the car. Vroom! And there's like, and you go, whoa! That is power right there, man. I feel it. I just sitting in the vehicle. I can feel the power. The thing's lighting up. It's telling me, man, it's getting ready to go. And then, and then so she's sitting in the car, and we're going, yes, yes, yes. This is so awesome. And we're looking at each other, and she goes, man, it's so great. Um, so let, let's, let's just go do something else now. I'm like, no, 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 no. Hang on. Can you feel that power? Like, let's go take a drive. Let's go somewhere with this thing. If she doesn't put it in first gear and drive it, then who cares what the engine sounds like? You got it? In the same way, who cares if you speak in tongues? Or for that matter, who cares if you operate in any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit if you're not going somewhere with it and being a witness which is why the gift is there in the first place. Go and use it. Go and be an effective witness in your family, in your friends, in your workplaces. Does that make sense? All right. So I'm hoping it's becoming clear here. Let's talk about tongues. There are four uh, somewhat functional categories that we see of spiritual language in the New Testament. Okay? Think of these as somewhat over, there's some overlap in these categories. Okay? The first one is there are tongues of intercession. I'm sorry, is that the first one? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me move back, sorry. I think I skipped one. Take me back, take me back, take me back. There we are. First one is tongues of interpretation. Listen up. This type of tongue, spiritual, use of spiritual language, is intended to happen in a public gathering of believers. 
Someone gets up. With the permission of the pastor or leader in charge, they speak a message to the whole group in an unknown language. Or maybe it would be known by somebody, but we wouldn't know what they're saying. And everyone can hear it. They speak in that tongue, and then someone comes up after to interpret what was said. Okay, that's the, a tongue of interpretation. I'm going to unpack that a little bit more in a little bit, but just keep that in mind. This comes from 1 Corinthians 14, 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, Paul is setting up the order here. Two, or at most three, should speak. At one, uh, one at a time, and someone must interpret. Right? In other words, uh, in that, Paul is talking to a church in Corinth that was very fluent in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They used the gifts a lot, and sometimes they abused the use of the gifts. So Paul is setting some order here. Not everybody should be speaking all at once. If you're going to speak and, it, and there's an interpretation for it, then get up and do it one at a time, no more than three, because after three, psh, who knows what's going to happen. So Paul is just speaking specifically to their context. These are tongues of interpretation. The next type of tongue is the tongues that we use for intercession. This comes out of Romans 8, where it says that the Spirit, in the same way, helps us in our weakness where we don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through um, wordless groans or groans that cannot be uttered and a lot of interpreters um, have looked at this and said there's this there's a sense in which the spirit can pray in us and move us to a deep kind of intercession right this is not just praying for your prayer requests right it's not praying that God will bless your day this is when God, you start to feel something deep within and it's not necessarily you it's the spirit groaning within you and you might just groan and not know what to say or what might come out is a tongue or your heavenly language used for the purpose of deep intercession. Another word we use for that is uh, travail in prayer. You're not just asking God for an answer to a problem. You're birthing something in the kingdom, in the spirit. And it requires this kind of deep intercession. So there are tongues that can be used in that way. All right, the next one is tongues as a sign to unbelievers. Are you guys with me? Tell the person next to you, stay awake. We're getting somewhere. We're going somewhere today. This is tongues as a sign to the unbeliever. These are the tongues that most people say, this is the tongues that came upon the believers at Pentecost. This is where um, the believer starts to speak in an unknown language, but it's known to someone else. And usually an unbeliever will hear their language spoken by someone who has not learned their language, and they go, wow. Remember I told you that illustration at Azusa Street where the guy was like skeptical about, that journalist was skeptical about all that tongue speaking that was happening at that house on Bonnie Bray? And so he went to the meeting, right? And then, and then somebody started speaking to him in tongues, but it happened to be in perfect Hebrew where he was a Hebrew dude, Right? And in Hebrew, this guy who didn't know what he was talking about was telling this journalist, skeptical journalist, all of his hidden sins <laughs> and preaching the gospel to him. And the guy fell on his face and repented. That would be an example of this tongue. Another example my grandma shared, with, uh, writes in one of her books, um, how she was in a, a remote part of the Philippines in one of the tribal regions. I forgot which tribe it was. But she was in this hut because they called her, they wanted her help. There was a, a woman in that hut who was possessed by a demon. 
And it was obvious. She was just crazy. No one could control her. She was chained up in the hut. And so my grandma goes into the hut and tries to pray for her. And nothing's working. Girl won't respond to anything. And then as she's praying, she's so burdened, she enters into this sort of tongues with intercession kind of mode. And out of her stomach, she just starts to feel, out of her innermost being, she starts to feel this thing rising up. And as she, I'm, I'm shortening the story just, just for the sake of time here. But she starts to then all of a sudden speak this language she had never heard before. She had never learned before. It just so happened to be the dialect of that tribe. And the girl, the demon-possessed girl, all of a sudden perked up and started listening to her. And she was telling her and sharing with her the gospel, how much God loved her and how God wanted to set her free. And by the time that interaction was over, this woman was set completely free from that demon. Yeah? That's an example of sign, tongues as a sign to the unbeliever. Say, that's good stuff, Pastor. That's good stuff. Lastly, this one is the more common one that we experience. It's tongues as a, as a sort of a personal prayer language for the purpose of edification. Where we pray or we praise God in our heavenly language. Listen, at will, at will, you can control this. Okay? I'll get to that in a second. Whether it's in a private setting or a public setting where it's appropriate, the purpose of this use of tongues is to build yourself up or to build up others in the sense that... Uh, we would expect an interpretation. But in, in this sense, it's edi personal edification. There are two places where the Apostle Paul says that, that, the, the, that believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In one place, he says it as he refers to the, the believing community, the whole church, as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there's, then there's another place where he talks about the temple of the Holy Spirit as your individual body. Got it? The temple of the Holy Spirit corporately as a body of believers. The temple of the Holy Spirit as in your individual body. Corporate, individual. Corporate expression, individual expression. This particular gift and use of, of, the, of the spiritual language is an individual expression. To build you up individually. When you translate that gift into the corporate setting, you get a corporate version of the gift of tongues. And it should be used with interpretation of tongues. That'll become clear in just a moment. But Paul says it here. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies who? Themselves. Now, why? What does that edification look like? Like, what do you mean, edify myself? Jude, another apostle, says this. He says, but you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, how? Praying in the Holy Spirit. What happens when you pray in the Holy Spirit using your heavenly language? What does that edification look like? Let me suggest to you it looks like these things. That you are inspired by God with new ideas and insights that express God's truth and nature. It means that you're strengthened in your faith to believe God for something that you've been praying for. It means that you can worship God at a deeper level, at a new dimension. And it also means, watch this, some of this, this is going to be priceless for some of you. It also means that you have a new weapon to add to your arsenal in your battle over darkness. Let me show you where this is. In Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us, Paul says, after you've put on the full armor of God, 
You need to step into battle. Guess where the battle is? In prayer. Put on the full armor of God. And then he says in Ephesians 6, 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Might I suggest to you that all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests in the spirit, that that also includes praying in your heavenly language, in tongues, that there is a level of warfare that you can do when you pray in your heavenly language against darkness. I'll just leave it at that for now. Let me go to some of the misconceptions. Some of you were raised in settings or maybe heard this on the internet somewhere. Someone saying something like, tongues are of the devil. Let me just, this is quick and easy. In the Bible, the people who were praying in tongues in the book of Acts didn't seem to be filled with demons or the devil. And watch this. When we ask God for his good gifts, will God give us the devil? Will he? Because doesn't it say in Luke chapter 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him instead a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Watch this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? No, pastor, but tongues are of the devil. If you ask for the devil, then you'll get the devil. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, God won't give you the devil. Now, you might be demonized, and the demon might manifest, but that's not God giving you the Holy Spirit, uh, giving you the devil. You already had the devil in you. You already had the demon in you through whatever you opened the door to, occult, sexual sin, anxiety, uh, fear. You open doors, the devil will walk in. And sometimes in order to get the devil out, God has to do some work. But in general, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, you're going to get the Holy Spirit because God wants to give good gifts to his children. Some people say, well, you know, tongues, you're, supposed to, you're not supposed to speak in tongues unless there's an interpreter. I just kind of clarified that for you. Yes, the corporate version of tongues must be used with an interpreter, or meaning there needs to be an interpretation. We need to wait for an interpretation if there's a corporate version of the gift of tongues. The formula for that is tongues in a public setting, in, the, in a large gathering of believers, tongues, say tongues, plus interpretation equals prophecy. So the function of tongues in a corporate setting is to get to a prophetic word that God wants to speak that everyone can understand. Got it? So you're not supposed to speak in tongues unless there's interpreter. Yes, when it's the corporate version of tongues, but no, when you want to use tongues as an individual for all the reasons I just stated. Got it? Yes, yes. Some people say you can't speak in tongues at will. Like if you really receive the true gift, it's like they think the Holy Spirit's going to come 
and grab your tongue and start shaking your tongue like that. And you're just going to go out of control and you're going to look like a freak. I've actually seen that happen. (laughs) And with all due respect to you, Lord, you can do whatever you want. And I've seen you do some awesome things. With all due respect to the fact that God can do whatever he wants, in general, he doesn't violate our will. And in general, the Holy Spirit is a pure gentleman. He comes clothed in the nature and personality of Jesus. Can you speak in tongues at will as a private expression of that gift? Absolutely. It's your tongue. God doesn't come and force you. (laughs) And he's not going to make you look like a freak unless you really want to be. And if you really want to look like a freak, there's something else wrong. But in general, you can control this gift. And listen, because we're going to pray in a moment to receive this thing. Think of it as a cooperation between you and God. God comes and inspires this, and he's the source of this gift. But you have to open your mouth and start speaking what he's inspired. That's the cooperation. That's the partnership. Okay? So, yes, you can speak it at will in the private expression of tongues. Um, Some of you might say, well, pastor, we should focus on the giver, not the gifts. And yes, there's some truth to that, absolutely. If you're going around just looking for signs because you want to feel powerful, that's, that's not the right motivation. But a sign is supposed to point to something. All of Jesus' gifts point back to him. And yes, we should seek the giver. But listen, the kinds of gifts that Jesus gives are, are the gifts of his person. In other words, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are manifestations of God himself in our midst So they're not the typical kinds of gifts, okay? It's okay. In fact, Paul even says, eagerly, say say with this, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. He says desire it. Go after it. Seek the gifts because they're intimately connected to the giver. And they point right back to the giver. So it's okay. If you want more, you want these gifts, ask God. He's willing to give them. Some people think, yeah, tongues is a lesser gift. You know, we shouldn't seek after it because it's, it's just a lesser gift. And they get this from 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul presents a list of things, of functions in the church, and tongues is like the last thing on the list. And so they think, okay, tongues is a lesser gift, so we don't have to bother with tongues. What Paul is actually doing, I'm going to show you this verse. Watch this. Oops, you know what? I didn't put it up there. <clears throat> oh, maybe it's not for now. Anyway, what Paul is doing with that list is he's saying tongues is not a lesser gift in terms of importance. It's a lesser gift in terms of uh, the establishment of a local congregation. So when he gives this list, he says, God has given some to be apostles, prophets, miracle workers, um, teachers, and, and on and on. And then at, at the bottom, it says, and tongues. Those who speak with tongues. And then he says something like, does everyone speak with tongues? Is everyone an apostle? Is everyone a prophet? 
And the answer is, of course, no. But what he means is, does everyone have the corporate gift and function of a prophet? No. Does everyone have the, the corporate function of speaking, getting up in front of everyone, speaking a tongue, and interpreting? No. But the truth remains that the gifts, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available to all believers. And he wants to give them to you. All right. Sorry about that. I had to go past all of these things. We're almost done, I promise. Let me sum it up for you. The beauty of spiritual language is this. Tongues indicates, and it's a reminder that the Spirit's presence is already upon us, and it's, you have, and it's a reminder and an indication that you've been empowered for effective witness. Secondly, tongues as a prayer language helps you pray in perfect alignment with the will of God. Wouldn't that be cool if you knew every single time you prayed, you were praying right in alignment with God's will? Pray in tongues. And you'll be right in alignment with God's will. Because you're speaking to God. You may not understand it in your head, but something's happening in the spiritual realm. Thirdly, tongues is like a language of intimacy that you can use to worship Jesus more intimately and deeply. Have you ever been in a, uh, like a national park or something where you, you walked out onto this vista and you just overlooked the beauty of all that was before you and the only word that comes to mind was speechless? It's so amazing. And then after you just use all the descriptors you, that were in your head, there's nothing more to say. Tongues gives you the more to say. When you're in the majesty of the Creator and you're in His presence, sometimes words escape us. Sometimes there aren't enough words. Our, the beauty of the spiritual language is we get to then use that spiritual language to express our love and adoration because words... Some words are just not enough. Some, I, I, God, you're, too, you're way too beautiful for me to, to describe in just one language. So I'm going to use another one. I'll speak, I'll praise you in Tagalog. But that's all I know. So that's, that's the extent of that language. Then I'll praise you in Spanish. Gloria, Señor, alabamos, alabamos, Espíritu Santo, right? That's all I know of that language. I've exhausted my English vocabulary. What's left? You see? No more words. And it, it's this language of intimacy. And then lastly, not lastly, but second to last, I just told you about this. It's a gateway to the prophetic. If you want to prophesy, and this is just a practical thing, if you want to prophesy over somebody, you want to speak God's message over them, a lot of times, in order for me to get in tune with God, I'll start praying in tongues under my breath because it helps sync me with the Spirit's heart and mind for this person. And I'm still developing the gift, but if you want to start out, tongues is a, like a gateway gift. It's a gateway to the prophetic. It's tongues plus interpretation equals prophecy. So sometimes I'll actually speak in tongues under my breath, and then God will give me the interpretation of it for that person, and I'll go, God has a message for you. This is it, I think. And I'll, with all humility and reverence and the willingness to be wrong, I'll speak the message. And hopefully it encourages them. If not, i got good practice, and hopefully I'll get it next time. That's how you got to treat the gifts got to be humble about it. We're not perfect. 
Lastly, it's a weapon to defeat darkness. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Sometimes when you don't know what to pray, you start to use your heavenly language and something starts to click. When you feel like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling, hitting the wall, you're not getting the breakthrough you needed, pray in your heavenly language. I was doing that all morning on my way here, singing in my heavenly language, singing in the car, looking really stupid or sounding really stupid to maybe other people. Thank God other people weren't listening. Thank God only God was listening. And I felt so at peace coming in today, so confident that even though we're over time today, it doesn't matter. The Lord's got some good things for you right now. And so let me close with this. Um, this is how you receive it. First of all, you must be born again. You must have opened your life and invited Christ, trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. That's all I'll say about that. But listen, if you're here and you're not sure what that means and you want the Holy Spirit, God's not going to say, hey, hang on, just first, you know. No, he'll give you the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you must also want all that God wants for you. Don't set a limit on your experience with God. Hunger for the more. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.